Section 51 of Grey's Anatomy, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 4 by Henry Grey. Tunics of the Eye, Part 2. The ciliaris muscle, musculus ciliaris, Bowman's muscle, consists of unstriped fibres. It forms a greyish, semi-transparent circular band about three millimetres broad on the outer surface of the forepart of the choroid. It is thickest in front and consists of two sets of fibres, meridional and circular. The meridional fibres, much the more numerous, arise from the posterior margin of the scleral spur. They run backward and are attached to the ciliary processes and orbiculus ciliaris. One bundle, according to Waldeyer, is inserted into the sclera. The circular fibres are internal to the meridional ones, and in a meridional section appear as a triangular zone behind the filtration angle and close to the circumference of the iris. They are well developed in hypermetropic, but are rudimentary or absent in myopic eyes. The ciliaris muscle is the chief agent in accommodation, i.e. in adjusting the eye to the vision of near objects. When it contracts, it draws forward the ciliary processes, relaxes the suspensory ligament of the lens, and thus allows the lens to become more convex. The iris The iris has received its name from its various colours in different individuals. It is a thin, circular, contractile disc, suspended in the aqueous humour between the cornea and the lens, and perforated a little to the nasal side of its centre by a circular aperture, the pupil. By its periphery it is continuous with the ciliary body, and is also connected with the posterior elastic lamina of the cornea by means of the pectinate ligament. Its surfaces are flattened, and look forward and backward, the anterior toward the cornea, the posterior toward the ciliary processes and lens. The iris divides the space between the lens and the cornea into an anterior and a posterior chamber. The anterior chamber of the eye is bounded in front by the posterior surface of the cornea, behind by the front of the iris and the central part of the lens. The posterior chamber is a narrow chink behind the peripheral part of the iris, and in front of the suspensory ligament of the lens and the ciliary processes. In the adult the two chambers communicate through the pupil but in the fetus up to the seventh month they are separated by the membrana pupillaris. Structure The iris is composed of the following structures. 1. In front is a layer of flattened endothelial cells placed on a delicate hyaline basement membrane. This layer is continuous with the endothelium covering the posterior elastic lamina of the cornea, and in individuals with dark-coloured irides the cells contain pigment granules. 2. The stroma, stroma iridis, of the iris, contains of fibres and cells. The former are made up of delicate bundles of fibrous tissue. A few fibres at the circumference of the iris have a circular direction, but the majority radiate toward the pupil, forming by their interlacement delicate meshes, in which the vessels and nerves are contained. Interspersed between the bundles of connective tissue are numerous branched cells with fine processes. In dark eyes, Many of them contain pigment granules, but in blue eyes and the eyes of albinos they are unpigmented. 3. 
the muscular fibres are involuntary and consist of circular and radiating fibres. The circular fibres form the sphincter pupillae. They are arranged in a narrow band about one millimetre in width which surrounds the margin of the pupil toward the posterior surface of the iris. Those near the free margin are closely aggregated. Those near the periphery of the band are somewhat separated and form incomplete circles. The radiating fibres form the dilator pupillae. They converge from the circumference toward the centre, and blend with the circular fibres near the margin of the pupil. 4. The posterior surface of the iris is of a deep purple tint, being covered by two layers of pigmented columnar epithelium, continuous at the periphery of the iris with the pars ciliaris retinae. This pigmented epithelium is named the pars iridica retinae, or, from the resemblance of its colour to that of a ripe grape, the uvea. The colour of the iris is produced by the reflection of light from dark pigment cells underlying a translucent tissue, and is therefore determined by the amount of the pigment and its distribution throughout the texture of the iris. The number and situation of the pigment cells differ in different irides. The albino pigment is absent. In the various shades of the blue eyes, the pigment cells are confined to the posterior surface of the iris, whereas in grey, brown and black eyes, pigment is found also in the cells of the stroma and in those of the endothelium on the front of the iris. The iris may be absent, either in part or altogether as a congenital condition, and in some instances the pupillary membrane may remain persistent, though it is rarely complete. Again, the iris may be the seat of a malformation, termed coloboma, which consists in a deficiency or cleft, clearly due in great number of cases to an arrest in development. In these cases the cleft is found at the lower aspect, extending directly downward from the pupil and the gap frequently extends through the choroid to the porous opticus. In some rarer cases the gap is found in other parts of the iris, and is not then associated with any deficiency of the choroid. Vessels and Nerves The arteries of the iris are derived from the long and anterior ciliary arteries, and from the vessels of the ciliary processes. Each of the two long ciliary arteries, having reached the attached margin of the iris, divides into an upper and lower branch. These anastomose with corresponding branches from the opposite side, and thus encircle the iris. Into this vascular circle, circulus arteriosus major, the anterior ciliary arteries pour their blood, and from it vessels converge to the free margin of the iris, and there communicate and form a second circle, circulus arteriosus minor. The nerves of the choroid and iris are the long and short ciliary, the former being branches of the nasociliary nerve the latter of the ciliary ganglion. They pierce the sclera around the entrance of the optic nerve, run forward in the perichoroidal space, and supply the blood vessels of the choroid. After reaching the iris, they form a plexus around its attached margin. From this are derived non-medulated fibres which end in the sphincter and dilator pupillae. Their exact mode of termination has not been ascertained. Other fibres from the plexus end in a network on the anterior surface of the iris. The fibres derived through the motor root of the ciliary ganglion from the oculomotor nerve supply the sphincter, while those derived from the sympathetic supply the dilator. Membrana pupillaris In the fetus, the pupil is closed by a delicate vascular membrane, the membrana pupillaris, which divides the space in which the iris is suspended into two distinct chambers. 
The vessels of this membrane are partly derived from those of the margin of the iris, and partly from those of the capsule of the lens. They have a looped arrangement, and converge towards each other without anastomosing. About the sixth month the membrane begins to disappear by absorption from the centre towards the circumference, and at birth only a few fragments are present. In exceptional cases it persists. The retina, tunica interna. The retina is a delicate nervous membrane upon which the images of external objects are received. Its outer surface is in contact with the choroid, its inner with the hyaloid membrane of the vitreous body. Behind it is continuous with the optic nerve. It gradually diminishes in thickness from behind forward and extends nearly as far as the ciliary body, where it appears to end in a jagged margin, the aura serrata. Here the nervous tissues of the retina end, but a thin prolongation of the membrane extends forward over the back of the ciliary processes and iris, forming the pars ciliaris retinae and pars iridica retinae already referred to. This forward prolongation consists of the pigmentary layer of the retina together with the stratum of columnar epithelium. The retina is soft, semi-transparent, and of a purple tint in the fresh state, owing to the presence of a colouring material named rhodopsin, or visual purple. But it soon becomes clouded, opaque, and bleached when exposed to sunlight. Exactly in the centre of the posterior part of the retina, corresponding to the axis of the eye, and at a point in which the sense of vision is most perfect, is an oval yellowish area, the macula lutea. In the macula is a central depression, the fovea centralis. At the fovea centralis the retina is exceedingly thin, and the dark colour of the choroid is distinctly seen through it. About three millimetres to the nasal side of the macula lutei is the entrance of the optic nerve, optic disc, the circumference of which is slightly raised to form an eminence, colliculus nervi optici. The arteria centralis retinae pierces the centre of the disc. This is the only part of the surface of the retina which is insensitive to light, and it is termed the blind spot. Structure the retina consists of an outer pigmented layer and an inner nervous stratum or retina proper. The pigmented layer consists of a single stratum of cells. When viewed from the outer surface, these cells are smooth and hexagonal in shape. When seen in section, each cell consists of an outer non-pigmented part containing a large oval nucleus and an inner pigmented portion which extends as a series of straight thread-like processes between the rods, this being especially the case when the eye is exposed to light. In the eyes of albinos, the cells of this layer are destitute of pigment. Retina proper The nervous structures of the retina proper are supported by a series of non-nervous or sustentacular fibres, and, when examined microscopically by means of sections made perpendicularly to the surface of the retina, are found to consist of seven layers, named from within outward as follows. 1. Stratum opticum 2. Ganglionic layer 3 inner plexiform layer, 4, inner nuclear layer or layer of inner granules, 5, outer plexiform layer, 6, outer nuclear layer or layer of outer granules, 7, layer of rods and cones. 1. The stratum opticum or layer of nerve fibres is formed by the expansion of the fibres of the optic nerve. It is thickest near the porous opticus, gradually diminishing toward the aura serrata. As the nerve fibres pass through the lamina cribrosa sclerae, they lose their medullary sheaths and are continued onward through the choroid and retina as simple axis cylinders.
When they reach the internal surface of the retina, they radiate from their point of entrance over this surface grouped in bundles, and in many places arranged in plexuses. Most of the fibers are centripetal, and are the direct continuations of the axis cylinder processes of the cells of the ganglionic layer, but a few of them are centrifugal and ramify in the inner plexiform and inner nuclear layers, where they end in enlarged extremities. 2. The ganglionic layer consists of a single layer of large ganglion cells, except in the macula lutea, where there are several strata. The cells are somewhat flask-shaped, the rounded internal surface of each resting on the stratum opticum, and sending off an axon which is prolonged into it. From the opposite end, numerous dendrites extend into the inner plexiform layer, where they branch and form flattened arborizations at different levels. The ganglion cells vary much in size, and the dendrites of the smaller ones, as a rule, arborize in the inner plexiform layer as soon as they enter it, while those of the larger cells ramify close to the inner nuclear layer. 3. The inner plexiform layer is made up of a dense reticulum of minute fibrils formed by the interlacement of the dendrites of the ganglion cells with those of the cells of the inner nuclear layer. Within this reticulum, a few branched spongioblasts are sometimes embedded. 4. The inner nuclear layer, or layer of inner granules, is made up of a number of closely packed cells, of which there are three varieties, viz. bipolar cells, horizontal cells, and amacrine cells. The bipolar cells, by far the most numerous, are round or oval in shape, and each is prolonged into an inner and an outer process. They are divisible into rod bipolars and cone bipolars. The inner processes of the rod bipolars run through the inner plexiform layer and arborize around the bodies of the cells of the ganglionic layer. Their outer processes end in the outer plexiform layer in tufts of fibrils around the button-like ends of the inner processes of the rod granules. The inner processes of the cone bipolars ramify in the inner plexiform layer in contact with the dendrites of the ganglionic cells. The horizontal cells lie in the outer part of the inner nuclear layer and possess somewhat flattened cell bodies. Their dendrites divide into numerous branches in the outer plexiform layer, while their axons run horizontally for some distance and finally ramify in the same layer. The amacrine cells are placed in the inner part of the inner nuclear layer and are so named because they have not yet been shown to possess axis cylinder processes. Their dendrites undergo extensive ramification in the inner plexiform layer. 5. The outer plexiform layer is much thinner than the inner, but like it, consists of a dense network of minute fibrils derived from the processes of the horizontal cells of the preceding layer, and the outer processes of the rod and cone bipolar granules, which ramify in it, forming arborizations around the enlarged ends of the rod fibers and with the branched foot plates of the cone fibers. 6. The outer nuclear layer, or layer of outer granules, like the inner nuclear layer, consists of several strata of oval nuclear bodies. They are of two kinds, viz. rod and cone granules, so named on account of their being respectively connected with the rods and cones of the next layer. The rod granules are much the more numerous, and are placed at different levels throughout the layer. Their nuclei present a peculiar cross-striped appearance, and prolonged from either extremity of each cell is a fine process. The outer process is continuous with a single rod of the layer of rods and cones. The inner ends in the outer plexiform layer in an enlarged extremity. 
and is embedded in the tuft into which the outer processes of the rod bipolar cells break up. In its course it presents numerous varicosities. The cone granules, fewer in number than the rod granules, are placed close to the membrana limitans externa, through which they are continuous with the cones of the layer of rods and cones. They do not present any cross-striation, but contain a piriform nucleus, which almost completely fills the cell. From the inner extremity of the granule a thick process passes into the outer plexiform layer, and there expands into a pyramidal enlargement or footplate, from which are given off numerous fine fibrils that come in contact with the outer processes of the cone bipolars. 7. The layer of rods and cones, Jacob's membrane. The elements composing this layer are of two kinds, rods and cones, the former being much more numerous than the latter except in the macula lutea. The rods are cylindrical, of nearly uniform thickness, and are arranged perpendicularly to the surface. Each rod consists of two segments, an outer and inner, of about equal lengths. The segments differ from each other as regards refraction and in their behaviour towards colouring reagents, but is coloured yellowish-brown by osmic acid. The outer segment is marked by transverse strii, and tends to break up into a number of thin discs superimposed on one another. It also exhibits faint longitudinal markings. The deeper part of the inner segment is indistinctly granular. Its more superficial part presents a longitudinal striation, being composed of fine, bright, highly refracting fibrils. The visual purple, or rhodopsin, is found only in the outer segments. The cones are conical or flask-shaped, their broad ends resting upon the membrana limitans externa, the narrow-pointed extremity being turned to the choroid. Like the rods, each is made up of two segments, outer and inner. The outer segment is a short conical process, which, like the outer segment of the rod, exhibits transverse strii. The inner segment resembles the inner segment of the rods in structure, presenting a superficial striated and deep granular part, but differs from it in size and shape, being bulged out laterally and flask-shaped. The chemical and optical characters of the two portions are identical with those of the rods. Supporting Framework of the Retina The nervous layers of the retina are connected together by a supporting framework, formed by the sustentacular fibres of Muller. These fibres pass through all the nervous layers except that of the rods and cones. Each begins on the inner surface of the retina by an expanded, often forked base, which sometimes contains a spheroidal body staining deeply with hematoxylin the edges of the bases of adjoining fibres being united to form the membrana limitans interna. As the fibres pass through the nerve fibre and ganglionic layers, they give off a few lateral branches. In the inner nuclear layer, they give off numerous lateral processes for the support of the bipolar cells, while in the outer nuclear layer they form a network around the rod and cone fibrils, and unite to form the membrana limitans externa at the bases of the rods and cones. At the level of the inner nuclear layer, each sustentacular fibre contains a clear oval nucleus. Macula lutea and fovea centralis In the macula lutea the nerve fibres are wanting as a continuous layer. The ganglionic layer consists of several strata of cells. There are no rods but only cones, which are longer and narrower than in other parts, and in the outer nuclear layer there are only cone granules, the processes of which are very long and arranged in curved lines. In the fovea centralis, the only parts present are 1. the cones, 2. the outer nuclear layer, the cone fibres of which are almost horizontal in direction, 3. 
an exceedingly thin inner plexiform layer. The pigmented layer is thicker and its pigment more pronounced than elsewhere. The color of the macula seems to imbue all the layers except that of the rods and cones. It is of a richer yellow, deepest toward the center of the macula, and does not appear to be due to pigment cells, but simply to a staining of the constituent parts. At the aura serrata the nervous layers of the retina end abruptly, and the retina is continued onward as a single layer of columnar cells covered by the pigmented layer. This double layer is known as the pars ciliaris retinae, and can be traced forward from the ciliary processes onto the back of the iris, where it is termed the pars iridica retinae, or uvea. The arterior centralis retinae and its accompanying vein pierce the optic nerve and enter the bulb of the eye through the porous opticus. The artery immediately bifurcates into an upper and a lower branch, and each of these again divides into a medial or nasal and a lateral or temporal branch, which at first run between the hyaloid membrane and the nervous layer, but they soon enter the latter and pass forward, dividing dichotomously. From these branches a minute capillary plexus is given off, which does not extend beyond the inner nuclear layer. The macula receives two small branches, superior and inferior macular arteries, from the temporal branches and small twigs directly from the central artery. These do not, however, reach as far as the fovea centralis, which has no blood vessels. The branches of the arteria centralis retinae do not anastomose with each other. In other words, they are terminal arteries. In the fetus, a small vessel, the arteria hyaloidea, passes forward as a continuation of the arteria centralis retinae through the vitreous humor to the posterior surface of the capsule of the lens. End of section 51